What's going on, everybody? This is Sean of Ross Like Music. And this is the Super Sunny Show. I'm La Molly. This is Blue and Green Radio. Hello and welcome along to this month's edition of the Music for Modern Living Radio Show, right here on Blue and Green Radio. You're locked in with me, Nigel Gentry. Confessions of a curly mind. Blue and Green Radio. You're listening to Steve Williams at UK5.org. Welcome to the Blue and Green Sessions. Ride the vibe with DJ Ronnie Ron. Twisted Soul with C.F. Smith. You're listening to the Blue and Green Podcast. And I hope you enjoy what we are going to say. Blueandgreenradio.com Hello friends, welcome. You're listening to another episode of the Blue in Green podcast. These are the podcast series that runs in conjunction with the online internet independent uh, radio station that focuses on soul, jazz, funk, uh, Latin music and hip-hop. And the radio station is Blue in Green Radio. You can find us at blueingreenradio.com for our constant 24 hours a day, uh, 7 days a week stream, which uh, has... We both shows from all over the world. We have an incredible array of, of presenters from Australia, from uh, uh, the US, London, uh, and Japan, and um, you know, just insanely proud of, of, of the content that we're able to display uh, and, and to put out for you amazing people. So uh, very much hope you'll check us out, blueandgreenradio.com. You can also find the complete list of our podcast, previous podcast episodes as well that we're very confident that you'll enjoy. Uh, my name's Imran, by the way. How, how rude. I haven't introduced myself. Um, I'm your host on these podcasts. Primarily, we, we kind of spend time with a lot of our Blue and Green Radio presenters which is just the best thing it's so much fun but it also this podcast uh, series also gives me the opportunity to talk to just people i'm just an insane fan of and uh, that's what's happening on the episode today uh we are talking to uh joe pinato from improv jazz band bright dog red they had an album release their debut album came out on uh, Robodope records october 2018 and we've been so lucky since then uh, to kind of be able to connect with joe a few times so this show is great i'm over the moon that we were able to do it it's a great extension to the stuff that we've done before, which we do talk about at the beginning of the conversation. Um, as we said, the album is available through Ropadope Records. Again, it's uh, another big deal for me. I'm just borderline a diehard fan of Ropadope Records. They're uh, just one of my absolute favorite labels. They're un- almost unrivaled with uh, the sort of the quality of the music and what they're able to put out. It's it's really really exciting if you own nothing from Ropadope Records then my friends I would urge you to visit the Bandcamp page where you'll stumble on a, a huge array of great music um, from again all parts of the world um, so uh, yeah certainly urge you to do that and I certainly urge you to check out music from Bright Dog Red as well we're gonna talk right now to uh, to Joe uh, and um, yeah crazy excited about it Joe himself is a professor at the State University of New York uh, by day and he's an improv jazz band leader by night as well so <laughs> it's the perfect existence uh, so um, as I said huge fan of the uh, means to the end album um, uh, the way these podcasts run is that I pick uh, the first song I have the, the luxury of being able to pick the first number which leads into our conversation and our guest picks the closing number so joe will pick our closing number but for me i'm gonna pick a track from said debut album by bright dog red means to the end um, and i'm gonna go with my favorite one from the album which is called it's a thing or it ain't and this is really cool because it's a song that uh, joe discusses 
uh, in this conversation as well. So uh, I won't give you more of an intro because Joe can do it better than I can. Um, as we said, friends, this is uh, Blue and Green Radio. This is Blue and Green Radio podcast, and uh, my name is Imran. Hope you enjoy the show, and um, please feel free to visit us at blueandgreenradio.com. Thanks, friends. Hope you enjoy the show.
I, I, again, I greatly appreciate uh, your time today. I've been looking forward to talking to you for quite a long time. I think as soon as we started this podcast series, you were quite high up for someone I wanted to, I was hoping to sort of secure time with. Um, I thought that it would be a, make a nice extension for the, the projects that we've managed to sort of work on before. We interviewed you for uh, our site uh, mid last year and um, you were very gracious in um, sort of appearing on that album of the week segment where you talk about your wonderful means to the end album so uh, this will make a lovely extension to those past uh, uh, collabs so I'm very excited about having the time to talk to you. Well the feeling is mutual I, I really appreciate all your interest in Bright Dog Red and in our work and my work in particular over the past uh, past year since the album's come out it's one of the great things about releasing work is you get to connect with uh, people people around the globe, really, who have uh, similar interests or tastes. And I've enjoyed following your um, radio programming on, um, you know, both platforms. And, and now this is a new one. The podcast is new to me. So yeah, I'm really, the, the feeling is mutual. That's very kind. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. So speaking of, of the album, Means to the Ends, I mean, congratulations. Yeah, I mean, you must be over the moon with how it's been received so far. Yeah, really, really surprised uh, and delighted. And um, so are the folks in the band. Um, you know, when you put something together, you you have a sense of it. But when other people hear it and respond to it, um, that's when you really uh, sort of come full circle to understanding what it is and what it isn't and where it fits in in the big picture. So that response has been really, really great on, on in that regard. So, I mean, for anyone that whose whose name uh, who who is unfamiliar with the name Bright Dog Red, the the sort of the unique selling point of your of of the band is that you're an improv jazz band, which to me, I mean, I, I don't play any instruments, but the word improv always petrifies me <laughs> in in whatever context, whether it's music or or comedy or or acting and or any any kind of context but the idea that you 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 all grace a stage I mean is it as blank canvas as that where you have no idea where it's going to go as soon as you start playing uh, for the most part yes um, occasionally I will based on you know the context we're playing in or the crowd or the sound check I'll give a, a general direction but you know the directions might you know, a, a very directed evening starts with something like, okay, we're going to start rhythmically. <laughs> um, and um, occasionally for playing an uninitiated crowd, meaning a crowd that doesn't know us, where we're put forth uh, or put uh, before a group um, that's maybe at a festival or at a, a jazz club, um, we don't want to um, play something other than what they're expecting. At the same time, we don't want to come across as pandering. So we might start maybe uh, with the idea of being a little more accessible and then seeing where the house is, getting a sense of where they're at. But th those are the kinds of directives. They're usually very general. And um, uh, we, we abandon them pretty quickly once we, we get a sense of, <laughs> of who we're playing for and how they're responding. So how, how, does, how does that kind of uh, approach to, to sort of music making, how does that transfer to the decision that when you say you want to create an album, is it that same approach or is there more structure involved in, in how you would approach the album process? It's a great question, Imran. Um, the, the answer to that question is changing with each project. So initially, we, um, we the, the, the 
core tracks that make up Means to the Ends were done without the intent of making an album. We were doing uh, a jam session at my home uh, where I have a studio and we recorded everything. And uh, in listening to it repeatedly, I started to hear what became Means to the Ends. So when we made the second album, we took the same approach, which is let's record what we're doing during our jam sessions. But but we we had the there, there was a, an idea that, hey, this might become an album, which is different than the first album where it was just a jam session that we happened to record. So uh, the second album, which will come out later this year, uh, September of 2018, is, or excuse me, 2019, is um, maybe in a way more purposeful. Um, and the playing is not, the playing is the same approach, but we, we were cognizant that we were recording and we were cognizant that we were making an album, and on this album, we actually start to explore a little bit more studio craft. So, in the first album, there's quite a bit of post-production that goes into the album, um, not to really alter what we did because we didn't want to do that so much. Um, what we really want to do with the post-production on the first album is just make sure there were there were clear breaks between songs, figure out what songs were what, come up with a sequence. Uh, but on this album, we were able to think a little bit more about okay. Instead of us all improvising at once, what if two or three of us improvise and then we have somebody else add uh, after the fact um, and they get a chance to uh, add their improvisation, um, allowing us to use more isolation and things of that nature. Uh, But even when we do that approach where it's layered or it's tracked by uh, instrument one by one, the players are still given the directive, you know, don't don't listen first. I'm going to hit record and you just go. And so they're just responding to what they hear. And, um, you know, one thing that we do is we sometimes encourage the players to play a little bit more than they might otherwise, because we if we have enough isolation, we could always edit their parts down. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we do do that. But I, I would say what's remarkable to me is that almost... Almost every take we use about 90% of the take, um, which is, you know, equivalent to traditional recording approach, you know, where you use a lot of a take. Um, But it's really cool to see because, you know, especially with the MCs, (laughs) they're freestyling their words and they don't know what's going to come next, which rhythms are going to come, or if they lock into a groove, um, they don't know how long it's going to last. So they really have to feel things out, which is really, um, it gives gives the band and what we do... uh, a kind of feeling of uh, that's ephemeral. You you know it's it's going to shift. It's going to change. Um, there was one reviewer actually who described it as scattered, and um, he he didn't want to write a review because he thought that was negative. And I thought no, that that's a really good description. At times, I'm <laughs> is scattered, and that's part of what we're you know uh, what we're going for is that that sense that at any moment things could dissolve and and reform. There's a kind of shape shifting quality to our music. So you well you you mentioned the sort of the inclusion of uh, the rappers with uh, MC Righteous and Scully, um, Cully, beg your pardon. Um, did um, I mean how how did that in of itself come up, come about? Were they involved in those early sort of jam sessions that you used to host, or was that something that somebody had the idea to include at a later time? Um, so in, in the original jam sessions that gave us means to the ends, there, it's actually one one evening 
two different long jam sessions. So we did a big long jam. We took a break. I made the band dinner. And then we went back and did another big long jam. So Means to the Ends comes from those two sessions. And MC Righteous was present and his rapping is live and in the moment. When we got the idea to add Cully, um, I, I thought it would be an unfair sort of advantage to Cully if he listened to everything and then, you know, wrote rhymes. Um, so I asked him and he was more than willing, you know, would, could you freestyle the entire two hours? <laughs> so he came over and, you know, we set him up with a microphone and I hit play and record and he listened to the playback and he just started freestyling. And there's some remarkable moments because, you know, they're not in the same room and on the track cruising, uh, I hit a groove that's sort of laid back and Cully just started rapping, I'm cruising, I'm cruising, I'm cruising down the street. I'm cruising, I'm cruising. And right before he could finish what he's saying, Righteous from the original session, which was almost a year or so before, comes in and says, I'm cruising down the street. So he had no idea that was coming. It was just a, one of those kind of magical things that happened in the moment. Oh, that's excellent. I was, I'm sorry, I'm floored by your earlier, by the, the first comment you made that the, 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 the jam sessions were one night. I thought this went yeah. on for for several like weeks or or, or things like that or, or months or so. So the genesis of the band, uh, yes, uh, you know the, there was jam sessions going on at my home. Uh, mo- most of the members of the band are former students of mine, and that's how we got started. Mm. Um, but for means to the ends, that's that's two hour long sessions roughly. Wow! Um, and uh, then we added in Cully who was not at the original sessions. And we added in Mike Chemline, one of the guitarists, a rhythm guitarist. Uh, you know, we've played, we don't always play with guitar, but when we, we have, it's either Zach Westbrook who plays lead on Means to the Ends or Mike Chemline who plays rhythm. And I thought it'd be really great to have them both on an album because one, one is a sort of natural lead guitarist and the other is sort of a natural rhythm and soundscape guitarist. And they worked really well together. So Mike Chemline put his tracks in after the fact, Uh, Zach was at, at the original session and Mike, um, Mike used the same ethos, which is hit play, hit record and go. And, um, and then, you know, when I get those tracks after the fact, because they're isolated, I can edit out if something's not quite working or if there's a few clams or cross voice dissonance or something like that, I can edit it out in, in post-production. But, but honestly, um, you know, because of the nature of what we do, there's not too much that needs to be edited out. And we do, um, we do as part of our ethos, uh, we kind of preserve the mistakes if that makes sense. So there's a few, mm-hmm. there's a few tracks on means to the ends, for example, um, Initially, I was going to do some tempo correction. You know, when a, when a band's improvising like that, sometimes you're searching. So you start at one tempo and you slow down two or three beats a minute until everybody settles in or, or you speed up a little bit. Um, but in working on the post-production of that album, I was listening to a lot of uh, music uh, that um, either had been influential or that people had referenced when they heard the uh, rough mixes. So we've often been compared to at least in the guitar era of the band. Uh, we've been, we've been referred to bands like, um, Mahavishnu orchestra. Uh, and then I think because of the electronic electronica, the mix of rock and jazz, sometimes people have brought up Tony Williams lifetime. Um, and I, so I listened to a lot of those bands, uh, during their sort of 
um, important period of album making in the early 70s. And, and I noticed the temp, the temp fee are all over the place. They really move and they breathe. And, it's, and I said, you know, I, I think we don't want this to be a polished, um, fixed record. We want the ephemeral, uh, go for broke kind of vibe that, that our performances are about. So that was really uh, an interesting challenge because it, it was in a way easy because we didn't have a lot of editing to do, but it was challenging to exercise the restraint and say, you know, band kind of falls apart here, but it's kind of beautiful that we're falling apart from one groove and we end up into another groove. Um, so we left a lot of stuff in there um, to try to preserve what it's like to hear the band live. That's incredible. That that really is incredible. Um, I mean, the fact that I understand everything, obviously, that you've said, but the fact that there would be elements where you've, you've kept you've retained say 90 percent i think you said uh sort of of the original recording is that sort of just an testament a testament to how well you guys have just just naturally played together yes um there you know so we call them rehearsals uh, I'm, with you i'm calling them jam sessions people often say well why do you have to rehearse if you're all improvised <laughs> um it, we, we really do need to know each other well we there's a lot of trust that needs to be established and there's also a um there's a kind of magical thing that happens when you improvise with the same improvisers over time you start to know what motivates them and how you can push and prod them you start to know when they're bored, <laughs> when they're excited, right. when they're frustrated. And, um, you know, as the leader of the band, it's important for me to know those things. But uh, the musicians in the band have been so great about knowing that about each other, including knowing that about me. Um, and so we can really sort of each player buoys the other players. We lift each other up in a certain way. Um, and so, you know, with, with those initial sessions, um, you know, about 90% of what you hear is from what was actually recorded. The total amount we recorded was more than that that's on the album. We recorded uh, almost two hours worth of music. The original session was two hours, but, you know, there's times where we stop and we're talking. Um, once I took that stuff out, uh, then there were a few transitional sections that just you know, didn't seem like they belonged on the album. And then there's some tracks um, that when we got to the mixing and mastering stage, I just decided to keep off the album because I I sort of settled on the sequence that became the album and really liked it. I liked the way the tracks flo flowed from one to the other. And um, our mixing and mastering engineer, who's a, a brilliant uh, recording um, engineer, Paul Geluzzo, um, he, he made only one change to the sequence and, and it was absolutely right, which was that ends to the means should be the final track. Originally it was not. Uh, so <laughs> it was a pretty good suggestion because, um, uh, at one point Cully raps in that song. Uh, so let's bring this thing to the end. <laughs> It makes the most sense, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, so it works nicely. And musically, it made sense as well. So we, we flipped that with a song called Perfect Circle on the album. So, that, you know, there's a lot of those decisions that are sort of edit, editing that go into coming up with the final project. And in this second album that we're working on that will come out uh, on rope -Dope Records, September 13th, 2019, we're using a little bit more studio craft and we're thinking more about the studio as a kind of, uh, additional player in the group. And um, that's kind of, I think, purposeful as a transition because for our third album, what we're thinking about doing, and we're not committed to this, but it's an idea we're throwing around, is to record the way we always have, 
but to turn the stems, which for, for those listeners who are maybe not familiar with audio recording, stems are the core tracks of each individual instrument. We would, we would turn the stems of what we did over to a, a producer and then say, you know, create something with it. In other words, the producer then would become a member of the group for that particular oh, wow. album. So that's an idea we have for a future uh, production. Um, and um, yeah, we, we'd like to do that collaboration as well. Um, but this approach to making music live and in the studio will always be certainly the point of initiation for us. Uh, and we, we're not likely to be a band that, you know, tracks bass and drums and has parts and that sort of thing. That's not the vision for this particular group. So when you tour currently in terms of in support of, say, well, for this album, do you play songs from the album or do you say we're, we're Bright Dog Reg and this is how we do it? it definitely the latter. In fact, um, I, I have it's a little bit of a corny joke, but I do say it at almost every gig, which is if I say to the audience, if you're um, eager to hear what we sound like tonight, so are we, um, because <laughs> we don't know. And. Uh, but what ends up happening is the, the, when we play gigs where fans show up, they they have a feeling of hearing what's on the album because there is um, a collection of tendencies among the core, the core players. In other words, um, you know, as a drummer, I like certain time feels and, and they know, if nothing else, they know the drumming will always be rooted in that kind of uh, jazz bebop tradition, which is different from the electronica and the musician uh, Cody Davies who does all our electronics you know he's got a, a very particular sense of sound palette that's very beautiful and and compelling but also can be you know he he uses elements of noise music and so they know that that's going to be there as well and then our saxophonist Mike Labombard uh, plays his sax clean but also plays with effects so the qualities of the instruments our sort of predilections as musicians are they're always present in a set so people come away feeling like they've they've gotten the experience that they get from listening to the albums so the 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 most sort of exciting thing i guess in terms of how you initially formed the band and through these say jam sessions is kind of how full circle that process was for you bearing in mind you were once the student sort of learning from from your teacher who had organized sort of jam sessions with with his students and that teacher being Yusuf Latif I mean what were those do you, what you must have incredibly fond memories of 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 those experiences uh you know there's an album called The Gentle Giant uh that Yusuf Latif made and I, there there's really no no more apt name for um the person that that was and is Yusuf Latif he he was he was a a giant he was very tall and large and um <laughs> The sort of you know big hands, big features, but he was a gentle uh, and uh, ever inquisitive person, and and that that inquisitive nature I think was profoundly influential on me. Um, but I want to give you an, and your listeners an idea of his generosity. Uh, when I was at uh, university, I was studying drum set with Max Roach, a great jazz uh, and bebop drummer and innovator on the instrument, mm. and. Um, Max was encouraging me to think less about playing in the style of jazz drumming, which is what I was studying. And of course, my, my drumming as a consequence was, was very, um, very much about imitation and very much about the formulaic sort of fills and style. And, and he was encouraging me to think more about what was uniquely my own and how I could express that. And so, you know, in conversation, I mentioned that I, 
um, played uh, drums, but I also was doing some composition. At that time, I was starting to experiment with the keyboard. I had composed a few small pieces, and I was interested in the intersection between composition and improvisation. Um, and so Max said, well, you should, you should contact Youssef Latif, who teaches within the five-college system as part of the University of Massachusetts is connected to four other schools. So I contacted um, Dr. Latif, and I went to his office hours. I you know, looked them up uh, in, a, in a big paper directory. There was no internet then. <laughs> and um, got on the bus to Hampshire College, uh, where he was teaching at the time. He would teach both at the University of Massachusetts and at Hampshire College. Uh, but I went to Hampshire College to his office. It was, I think, 4 o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon. And um, I explained who I was, why I was coming. Uh, Dr. Latif, you know, Professor Roach recommend I come. And uh, very deferential because I was in awe and a little intimidated. And he said, you want to learn composition? And I said, yeah. And he said, come in. I'll teach you everything I know. <laughs> My gosh. And I, 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 I thought, you know, maybe he's joking. I, I, so I said, right now? <laughs> he said, yes, I have office hours every Tuesday between 4 and 7. Students never come. Would you like to make this your composition lesson time? And I said, yes. Is there a fee? <laughs> and he said, no. They pay me to hold office hours. Come every Tuesday at four o'clock. I'll teach you everything I know. (laughs) So um, it was an incredible experience. So that led to me studying composition with him and learning a lot about orchestration, about composition. Um, And he was very interested in in who his students were in a similar way to what Max Roach was trying to get me to get at. So it was a a really fine um, intersection there in, in especially given where I was at in my life, I was 19. So I, I was at that point where you're trying to figure out who you are as a musician. And um, so one of the things he said was, well, you know, you should, you should write about the intersection between composition and improvisation. So that's, that was sort of the beginning of my thinking about scholarship of music. And uh, I was not thinking about going on and becoming a professor of music or anything at that point, but it got me thinking about the idea that you could think about music as well as play it. And then he invited me to um, play in his uh, big band. So I played in his big band for a number of semesters and also in some small group uh, contexts with either him or with um, other students uh, that were part of the five college system. So I met a lot of great musicians. Uh, one notable musician, Greg Burke, the, the Italian, well, he's, um, uh, he's Italian-American like me, but he's, he's been living in Rome for the past uh, 10 or 15 years. Greg Burke uh, was also a student at that time. So Greg was one of the musicians on that scene. And um, yeah, so we, in these, you know, in the big band, in these small groups, at the end, there were always musicians who would stick around. And, and getting back to uh, Youssef Latif's generosity, you know, he was a professor. He worked all day. He could have gone home, but he would hear us and he would say, well, let's jam. And he would start calling out tunes or he would just play an idea. He would just play a line and people would start playing along. And um, uh, it was really very compelling sort of experience for me because he was so open to ideas and to uh, the individual expressions of all the musicians. So uh, that idea of, you know, an older musician with knowledge that you want access to and, and you being a younger musician, having the opportunity to play with somebody like that really influenced how I work with my ensembles now as a professor at the State University of New York, Oneonta. So as you say, coming full circle. And over the years, uh, I've noticed that um, the students that impress me the most are not 
students that are impressive in the traditional sense of great technique or anything like that, although they may have that. Uh, but what impresses me is that they're really uniquely them. There's something about them that just comes through in their playing and in their personality. So each of the members of Bright Dog Red that I first invited for the initial jam sessions were just, hey, it's the end of the semester. I like what you do. Let's play together. And um, I would record all those sessions, Imran. Maybe, you know, I might have 20 hours of recordings from those days. Wow. My gosh. And um, yeah, listening to all those recordings, I, I, st- I started marveling at, you know, all these beautiful moments where we'd, things would happen and it would make sense. And somehow we'd all come together. And, and you know, it was remarkable because <laughs> they'd all end up at my house. I'd make a nice dinner and I'd say, all right, let's, let's play some music. And they would, uh, bicker is too strong a word, but they they would struggle to find common ground because who was a rock musician and who liked hip hop and who liked jazz and who liked, um, you know, uh, classical music, uh, who was doing electronic dance music. And I would say, all right, yeah, but just do what you do in this context. Let's just play and not think about it. So that's really how the ethos got started. And um, that was something that I took from Youssef Latif. We, you know, he didn't start the jam sessions quite the same way, but oftentimes he would just play an idea and we would all just sort of go. And, you know, that diversity of response is what I was looking for. Um, And then, uh, you know, going back to about 2014, I was talking to one of the, you know, musicians who had been part of those early Bright Dog Red sessions. And um, he said, you know, you ought to get like a core group of the musicians together and just do it regularly and see what happens, maybe even form a band. So that was the impetus. And by 2015, we did our first gig. That's incredible to have that. Do you ever consider that some like uh, students that you jammed with in years to come will be forming their own sessions <laughs> and, and, and citing you yeah. and Bright Dog Red as their influence and inspiration to continue? It, you it? know, it's um, it's this. It's this Teaching is a it's, a, it's a miraculous thing. It's a, it's a gift to be able to do it and to see, um, you know, see what musicians do with what you share with them. And that's what I'm most interested in. Not, uh, not necessarily that they necessarily do take the same approach, although they might, but um, I'm just, you know, always excited to see, you know, a musician that I work with 10 years ago and what they're doing now and the way their concept works. And uh, I've remained very good friends with a number of the musicians um, that I've taught over the years. Uh, One comes to mind is the DJ Chris Manick, DJ Manick, who's quite well-renowned. Wow. You know, now he's in his early thirties and listening to Manick's productions now and the work he does as a DJ and also as a producer recording, putting out recordings for labels like Ovum. And it's just, you know, it's amazing to see where he's taken what he has to offer and how it's grown. It's it's really inspiring in terms of uh, Yusuf Latif and, and in yourself that at no point is music, considering how long it's been a part of your life, both of your lives, at no point has it seemed to have become a chore. You know, it's still something that you, 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 you were both getting so much sort of just general, genuine joy and pleasure from. And sort of sharing that experience with others just seems to be something that you're not ever going to want to stop doing. Yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 absolutely joyful. I mean, you know, ultimately, if music can be socially connective and joyful, that's a great thing. And sometimes it can be profound and expressive, and um, you know that that's its unique uh, set of qualities. It's 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 a it's a 
there aren't too many other human activities like music. I, I, humor is the only thing I can really think of that's similar to music. Yeah. And that's obviously those qualities are what led you to uh, the, the incredible record label Ropadope. I remember, I, I'm sure you, you, I'm sure you would have seen it, but Lewis Marks, who obviously heads up uh, Ropadope Records, he, he put out a tweet uh, a couple of months ago. And I, I remember scribbling it down when he wrote it. Uh, he wrote, uh, when I was a kid and wanted to explore jazz, I knew if I picked up a record with the Blue Note label, it would be good. After 13 years at Ropadope, I can safely say the same is true for this brand. I mean, how do you feel kind of, you're obviously a huge part of that. Bright Dog Red is, is such a huge part of, of that under that, that Ropadope umbrella. I mean, what, how does that make you feel when you, you, you see a message like that from someone like Lewis Marks? It's wonderful. I mean, it's really for us, it's like, I don't think we could have found a better home. Um, it's a label that uh, going back to its earliest days, I was well aware of um, being a fan of all the kinds of music that Ropadope has recorded. Uh, I was paying attention from early on and over the years um, had many Ropadope recordings in my collection and um but never thought that it would be a label that i would you know one day record for um but you know there had been um through some mutual business contacts a possibility of bright dog red um supporting a rope dope act this was a few years ago and um you know it it became clear in the correspondence that what we do is is that they're probably the Ropadope's a big tent, right? There's a lot of different types of yeah. music that fall under the tent that is Ropadope. Uh, but but what they all seem to have in common is this kind of mixing and matching of um, you know jazz, rhythmic musics like R and B or funk or hip hop, electronica and synth music. Um, you know all those things sort of come together under that tent, and you know that's that sort of lines up with what we do so that that then led for me to reach out to lewis directly and say yeah i think uh, you know there might be some synergy here and so uh you know lewis as i like to say is you know big ears and a big heart so he he's he's a really good listener and uh when he's moved by something he responds to it and um we're we're fortunate and grateful that he was moved uh by the rough mixes of means to the ends and um uh, we're delighted to have a second album coming up on the label uh, in September of 2019. So that's, uh, you know, that makes what we've done now with the label a body of work. And yes, we feel like we're part of that uh, big tent that you described, where if, if it says rope dope you know it's going to be good. Uh, that's a heck of a thing um, to be a part of. And uh, yeah, for this band, it's perfect. It absolutely is. Yeah, I, I think I, I, I'd be hard pressed to... Uh... As you said, they're sort of the perfect home for Bright Dog Red, and it would be difficult to sort of name any other label that was more, I don't know, uh, uh, sort of welcoming, I think, in terms of style and what you're trying to achieve. Um, and I, I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. They're a perfect, it's a, it's a perfect fit. It really is. For sure. Uh, so um, I, I'm amazed at the speed of which album number two is is coming out, which is is very exciting as a fan. It's incredibly exciting. Um, I mean, were you very how soon into the process of sort how soon into sort of completing means to the end? Were you kind of focused on preparing a uh, a follow up? 
So we, we record everything we do. And um, around the time that Means to the Ends was released, I was listening to what we've done and thinking, you know, what's next? Uh, is any of what we have, uh, does it strike me the way Means to the Ends, those sessions struck me? You know, when I listen to it, do I say this could be something? And um, uh, yeah, th there's a track on Means to the Ends called It's a Thing or It Ain't. My favorite from and, the album. Um, <laughs> and um, we, it, uh, ain't is, is lowercase in the title. And uh, it's, it's, it's purposeful to say something either works or it doesn't. And it, it came from, you know, listening to the Means to the Ends tracks with, with the band and saying, is this a thing? Do you think this is, do you think this could work? <laughs> and at one point I said, well, let's listen. It will know it's a thing or it ain't just sort of jokingly. And that became sort of how we, and it was that, it was the segment that became that track that we're like, yeah, no, this, this, there's something very nice here. So when I listened to some of the more recent stuff, uh, the band had been playing together more often. And really we did a lot of gigs leading up to the the release of, and, and after the release of Rope a Dope, the you know, band's done probably, I don't know, 50 gigs in the past few years. And um, that, you know, you play, you play better, you play differently, it, it evolves. So what, what, listening to determine if it was a thing or it ain't <laughs> for these new sessions, I, I heard about, you know, I would say 45 minutes of really solid stuff. I, it all was good and interesting, but there was 45 minutes that really intrigued me. So I did some editing into rough tracks and rough mixes and sent it to Lewis, you know, shortly after the release of Bright Dog Red's debut. And, uh, you know, shortly thereafter, he responded, this sounds fantastic. Let's do it. Wow. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, so we're 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 thrilled. We're we're always we're always recording and listening back to what we do, and um, I would say that um, the next album was rounded out. Then let's see, we did sessions uh, later in 2018. We did sessions in early 2019, and then we did a session. No, that was it. The, the original sessions were done in 2018, maybe before the release of means to the ends and then we did some sessions in uh late 2018 and then a session in very early 2019 and from those three sessions we took about 20 minutes each uh 25 minutes each so the new album's about 70 minutes i think total um do you think vocalists are ever uh, obviously hip-hop uh, rappers aside but do you ever have you ever performed with vocalists we have we've we've done live sessions with vocalists um and it's uh, not at all something we would rule out. You know, one of the nice things about the group is we're, we're a collective. And so um, the band's always slightly different every time we play. There's usually some core members. Those core members tend to be uh, me on drums, of course, the leader and founder, but um, also Cody Davies on electronics, who's essential, you know, an essential contributor to the band. And Tony... Uh, Berman uh, on bass, Anthony Berman, who is also an essential contributor to the band. In fact, without those two, um, the band would sound very different. So it's a delight and, uh, you know, delight to play with them. And it's, I'm really grateful for their contributions. Um, and the three of us can work with a lot of different other contexts. So we have different rappers. Cully uh, has been our rapper for quite some time, but we have an MC Righteous and um, there are other rappers that we uh, have had sit in here and there. and. We'll probably likely have in the future. So 
but that core trio um, with Mike LaBombard, the saxophonist who plays with us, uh, you know, pretty much on every gig and is definitely on, on both albums. Um, you know, that group is kind of the, the basis, uh, for what we then add in. So depending on where I'm playing, who I know, if they're former students or musician friends, uh, I invite people to come join us. Well, amazing. I, I couldn't imagine how it would work with a, with a vocalist. That would be awesome to hear hopefully, uh, on an upcoming song or something for a, a project. It would be, it would be awesome to hear how that would all come together well we're thinking about album three already so album two is in post-production now and album three we're already starting to brainstorm about that's well it's all very exciting man it really is i'm very uh excited that things are going as as well as they are and uh having album number two so soon is again as a fan incredibly exciting so um yeah i'm very much looking forward to it uh as we we talked about before we have uh, uh each of our uh guests on on these uh podcasts tend to pick a a closing number and it can be a song from your catalog it could be just one of your favorite songs anything at all anything you're just sort of feeling on the day may i ask did you did you did you have a moment to to select something i did i did and i gave it lots of thought so. <laughs> i love it when people do uh, that they really <laughs> it's, a, it's a great thing to ask about um so uh the song i'll tell you the song and i'll explain a little bit about why i chose it the song is um, black star by david bowie wow and um the reason i selected it is because um uh, bowie as an artist is the singular biggest influence on um my desire to 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 make music uh, as an artist, um, in other words, not to make music, uh, just for the pleasure of making it or just to make music in my school music program or something like that. Uh, very early, uh, in my life, listening to a number of Bowie albums, but specifically, um, to come to mind, Aladdin Sane and Scary Monsters and Super Creeps. I, I remember becoming aware, um, I was probably like 12, 11 years old maybe even 10, just becoming aware that this was more than just music that was fun. I really, at the time, I really loved the Rolling Stones. And, and for me, the Rolling Stones music was always fun. Um, but when I listened to Bowie, it was like, it's fun, but it's, there. you know, there, I was searching for a word. And I remember having this grand revelation when I was, you know, 10 or 11 years old that it was art. <laughs> it was a form of artistic expression. There was concept behind it that there was a lot of thought. And of course that was true of many other artists. Um, but that was the artist for me that, that where I made that discovery. And, you know, Mike Garson's piano solo at the end of Aladdin Sane is, is it's rooted in free jazz. And, and that was his sort of background before he um, got involved with Bowie. And so that really was always in my brain. And then, um, Bowie's been an influence on many levels, the electronic music and my explorations there, um, uh, the idea of listening to many different types of music and thinking about how you might incorporate them into your own concept as an artist. So uh, I could have picked any one of those uh, songs, Aladdin Sane or a song from Scary Monsters and Super Creeps, but I thought Black Star is, um, and I wouldn't speculate whether this was intended or not, but but it ended up being a culminating uh, album. It ended up being a final statement, and um, 
it it is probably the, epitomizes Bowie's mix of, of different genres and ideas and references, um, everything from, of course, jazz and electronica and hip hop to Clockwork Orange. I mean, there's so many references. He's referencing things from his early career and there are melodies that come back that are sort of include motives from his early songs and it's just a it's a brilliant album and that particular song is a brilliant unfolding of his musical life uh so i thought that would be a good one to end with it's a i shouldn't be surprised actually that you picked bowie because i remember when we had our email uh exchange our email interview last year i think my question at the end was who would be a dream person to have performed with and i remember you he was the first name you put and second i think was miles davis but uh, i do remember david bowie was the first one that you put and I, so i shouldn't be surprised by by the pick uh at all he's a perfect selection it really is there's there's really three for me. So Miles, Albert Eiler, and David Bowie. Albert Eiler was the third name. It, was, <laughs> it escaped me for a moment, but that yes, that's the third name that you said as well. Yeah. Okay. So what were, were the, the, the other selections between those the other two artists as well? Um, so, hmm. <laughs> I didn't think of songs for them uh, both, but for uh, Albert Eiler, that's a tough one. Let's see which probably spiritual unity would be, you know, right. Spiritual unity was just an important album for me uh, as a young musician, you know, the way there's, there's clearly song, there's songs there and there's song structure. And yet it's, it's, it's out as people used to say, they don't say that so much anymore, but it's out and it's free in a sense, but it's also rooted in song structure and it's rooted in melody. And it's also rooted in this kind of joyful communion of people playing together. Um, I did a graduate school paper on Albert Eiler and I got to interview um, Gary Peacock, who I knew from my days working at ECM records. And, um, you know, Gary gave me a lot of insight about, Albert Eiler's concept and and basically uh, Gary Peacock told me that uh, Albert Albert would tell him I w- every time we play I want it to be a banquet they were playing a banquet in Europe I don't remember where Gary told me this years ago and there was a big spread and there were a lot of people enjoying this banquet and he said to Gary uh, this I, when we play I want it to be this I want it to be a big banquet of people coming around tasting and trying things and that always struck me as like such a an apt description of what it sounds like to my ears um you know i'm sure there was a lot more to (laughs) albert Eiler's concept than that one anecdote but it really did strike me and influence me that's that's... and it's just so beautiful Mm. what a beautiful tone right yeah he had such a beautiful tone yeah yeah you're you're a fan of horn players particularly it seems (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, I like a lot of different musicians, mm. but I definitely like horn players. And that's why we have trump, you know, we have trumpet and saxophone on the first yeah. album, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I won't take up any more of your time. I'm so so grateful. I've had a, a really great uh, a great time talking to you, and I've wanted to do it for quite a while. So I really appreciate your your time and your insight. And um, yeah, it, it genuinely means a lot. And I would like to wish you and the Bright Dog Red continued success. I I honestly can't wait uh, for album number two. And um, yeah, we'll be all over it as soon as we uh, we get our hands on it, sir. Well, and I'd like to thank you, Imran, for your support right from the beginning since the album came out. It means a lot to have uh, fans and, and supportive people in the media and also 
you know, big shout out to you and so many others for supporting so many artists. Uh, you know, I follow what you're doing and you're supporting a lot of great artists. And so congratulations on that. And thanks for doing that. That's so kind. Thank you so much.
something happened on the day he died The spirit rose and meet up and stepped aside Somebody else took his place and bravely cried I'm a black stone, I'm a black stone How many times does an angel fall? How many people lie instead of talking tall? He cried loud into the crowd Solitary 